0: You're listening to Journeys, a bite-sized podcast produced by Kama DC. Kama is a nonprofit giving a platform to immigrants in the DMV area to share their stories, skills, and experiences. This is the second of four episodes exploring Afghan experiences that will be released every Friday this month. I'm your host, Ben Jaffe, and today's guest is Javid Rafat. Javid is a monitoring and evaluation expert working in the field of international development who came to the U.S. on a special immigrant visa in 2016.
1: I'm Javed Rafat, an immigrant here in the U.S. from Afghanistan, a country so rich in traditions and culture that we will get into in a minute, a country that has long been a melting pot for an array of ethnic groups cultures, and it has been geographically positioned at the meeting point of four major cultural areas, the Middle East, Central Asia, the Indian subcontinent, and the Far East. So it is um, such a great country, but unfortunately, I'm not there anymore. Talking professionally about myself, uh, I am a monitoring, evaluation, and learning expert with over a decade-long experience working with various international organizations. I have moved to the U.S. with my family in 2016 after it became too dangerous for me to continue to stay in my country. And I live uh, with my family here in Virginia.
0: And how did you end up moving to the United States in 2016? And how did you end up working in international development?
1: How I ended up here was as a result of the Changes that occurred in Afghanistan after the September 11, 2001, I was going to school uh, when when 9-11 happened. But in 2010, when I graduated from from the university uh, studying economics, I ended up starting working with these international organizations that came to Afghanistan to support the country and to support its people and build the institutions. Uh, So I started my work with a company called Creative Associates in 2009. And since then, I have been continually working with these international organizations, with many others as well, that provided me the opportunity to help my people, help my community, and help the country. But at the same time, you know, that there was an insurgency against the Afghan government, the Afghan people, and the international troops in Afghanistan, you know, Taliban and different other fighters, the terrorist groups that were active in Afghanistan. So they started to target people that were working for the international organizations, such as myself. Me working in that area for a couple of years, I was known to people, known to the community, that this person, Javed Rafat, is working for the international organizations, for the foreigners, as they are putting it. And then to the point that it was not safe for me and my family to stay in Afghanistan. So I was provided an opportunity to come to the U.S. with my family to be safe from the threats that were directed to my life and to my family's lives.
0: So you mentioned this in the beginning, how the international community started um, after 2001, changing Afghanistan and how your work with them is what led you to having to leave. What are the big changes you saw to Afghan society post-2001 that were due to the international community?
1: That's a really good question. So the international community's engagement, the United States on the lead, Really changed Afghanistan like 180 degrees. Before 9/11, before the international community's engagement in Afghanistan, we had—I can say—we had nothing. We did not have education. We, ha- we did not have school. We did not have healthcare infrastructure at all. We did not have a government in place. It was like the 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 country was in a running in a vacuum with no government, no no leadership that was acceptable that could provide services to the people. After after the international community came to to Afghanistan to rebuild the country, to support its people, to help with the economic recovery, I saw that firsthand myself being involved in the rebuilding of the country, that the country was going to a very positive direction from basic, institutions such as the government itself, the international community supported the Afghan government to build those institutions and then move on to build the economic sectors like the education sector, the healthcare sector, the agriculture sector, and even the the manufacturing sector to an extent. So the country moved from like a a country with nothing to a country with like very good institutions, that that those institutions could push the the country towards prosperity. We had millions of of kids going to school, including girls, like about 40%, I can say about 40% of those um, students were girls. Uh, We had really like the young generation was educated they they got their at least their bachelor's degree and even went on to get their masters and we had like we got some people going on and and getting their phd's so we had like a, like hundreds of phd's like thousands of masters degree holders and i can say like hundreds of thousands holding bachelor's degrees so the country shifted from total failure to a, a total failed state to a functioning state it was really fantastic to see the country developing and advancing, and it was a very good experience and a very good feeling for me to be part of that transformation.
0: And when do you think the turning point was? Because you mentioned all this very positive development and that everything was going quite well. When do you think things really started to change to where they are now with the Afghan government being overthrown a few months ago? I want to go back a little bit in the history of Afghanistan
1: because this country has been war for for decades. People might think that the people of, of, of Afghanistan are fighting these long bloody wars and they might be happy fighting these wars. But the reality is that Afghan people are very tired of these wars and they are peace loving, same as other major, major nations on earth. They are actually taken hostage by these warmongers, not only in Afghanistan, but outside of the country. The Afghan war actually started with the Soviet invasion in 1979, that really pushed the country into these costly wars with millions of, of lives lost and trillions of, of dollars worth of damage to the infrastructure. And, and that war was between the this insurgent group known as Mujahideen that fought a nine-year guerrilla war against the Afghan government of that time and the Soviet army throughout the 1980s, mostly in the countrysides and in the villages. And after the Soviet left the country, the warlords, with direct connections and support from other countries, such as Pakistan, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and some other countries, they started internal factional wars that ruined the infrastructure, the bare minimum infrastructure that was left untouched by the the war with the Soviet Union. So then the Taliban, this jihadist uh, militant group, emerged uh, in the aftermath of the war, and they came to power in 1994 and continued their atrocities and their dark ideology implementation until the September 11 attacks. The Taliban have returned to power 20 years after their ouster by the by the US forces we know that and there are some huge concerns both inside and outside of the country that they will impose those harsh rules they will neglect providing the basic services and abusing human rights these concerns are real now because from my own experience talking with with my extended family members in Afghanistan i know that They already banned music and cultural activities in the country. They also banned girls' education. And they are continuing to commit the atrocities by killing social media activists, by killing peace advocates. And they are also targeting and killing members of the Afghan National Security and Defense Forces that were serving the country and during the Republic. So we are back to to the dark era of the Taliban. And I think the real turning point was 2014 and also 2020 when the Doha peace process was, the, the Doha peace agreement was signed between the United States and, and the Taliban. And that peace agreement really emboldened the Taliban and give them that faith that they will continue to fight the international community, the international forces, and also the Afghan National Defense and Security Forces, and they will be victorious. And that's what happened. And they came back to power.
0: Turning back to your specific journey a bit, what was your experience like going through the relocation process back in 2016?
1: The relocation process of myself and my family has been very good, but there are some areas that needs to be improved especially the application process, uh, which is taking too long, anywhere from two years to five years for for different people. But actual journey in the arrangement of flights and logistics was, was very good. It was done by the International Organization for Migration. They did all the logistics. They booked our flights, and they had their representatives in the airports along the way to guide us and welcome us. And they also had their representatives waiting for us here in Dallas airport. Uh, When we arrived, they picked us up and brought us to our apartment. And the apartment was arranged and it was rented by them. So our relocation process was pretty good. But just the the only part that I think the U.S. government can focus on to improve a little bit more is the wait time for the application process to be processed and there are thousands of people that are left behind i think that's important to mention as well there are just not like enough visas available for people to receive so i think that's another challenge for for other people
0: and now that you were in the u.s how did you go about um, building a new home what steps did you take when adjusting to the dc area
1: Great question. My experience moving to the United States was great, but there is a learning curve because everything is different here from riding a bus to riding a metro and finding a grocery store to working for companies and, and organizations. So myself and my family started to adjust with the realities of the U.S. I tried to pursue my advanced education, and I went to a university and and got my MBA degree. Also tried to find a job because I had experience working for different international organizations. And first I started working in a refugee and immigration services organization in their grants management department. And from there, I moved on to different companies and different businesses and different organizations here in the US. And now we settled as a family very well and and adjusted to the to the culture and to the way of life here in the US.
0: And I know we talked separately uh, about that you have several acquaintances and family members who have now been forced to move to the United States over the past few months. If you're able to, could you share some of their experiences with the relocation process? Sure. I know some of my friends and even my own family that went
1: through this evacuation process after the fall of the government in Afghanistan. I was in the U.S. at that time, but my family was back home in Afghanistan because they went there for a summer vacation. We thought that this will be a good experience for them to stay back home with their with, with our relatives during the summertime. But nobody knew that the government will fall, Taliban will be coming back to power, and we will lose everything. Uh, We were all caught off guard. Actually, in the night of August 14, I was here in the U.S., everything was normal, but there were some districts that already fallen to the Taliban, but the capital city, Kabul, and most of other capitals of the provinces in Afghanistan were under the government control, so we thought everything is is normal because the fighting was going on in, in different provinces and different districts, but the center of the of the of the country was under the government control. In the night of August 14, when I was talking with my family, it looked like everything is normal. But when I got up in the morning and watched the news, they were talking about Taliban taking over the country. And I was seeing footages of people. Running to the airport, rushing on to the airport in thousands. And I was really worried about my family because I thought their life is in danger because they are living in the U.S., they have U.S. documents with them. What will happen to their life? After a couple of weeks after the fall of government in August 26, we were able to arrange a way for them to get inside the airport and take one of those evacuation flights. About two weeks after the fall of the government, we were able to find a way for my family to come to the airport and to be escorted to inside. It is so heart-touching that this life-saving support was provided by two U.S. Marines on the ground, that they were able to provide a safe route for my family to be evacuated amidst the chaos in the airport. I'm really thankful to those U.S. Marines on the ground that provided this life-saving support to my family. They got admitted to the airport about two hours before the big explosion that unfortunately killed about 200 people, including U.S. service members. My family's flight has taken off uh, around midnight. They have been packed into the C-17 military flights uh, with hundreds of evacuees and flown out of the country. And they reached Ramstein Air Base in Germany after about 10 hours of flight. Uh, and my wife was telling me the heart-wrenching stories of chaos in, in Kabul airport. And when they reached to the air base, she says it was too cold and, and it was rainy. And they were waiting outside in the open space for about nine hours to be processed and, and to find their, uh, their tent. They spent that Friday and Saturday in the airbase with very dire situation, staying in those hangars with hundreds of people. And they were extremely lucky to come back to the US and and to be flown to Dallas airport. And I was feeling very lucky and I was was very happy to be reunited with my family. And I remember I was waiting uh, at the Dallas airport for them to pick them up. And and when I saw them, they were they were completely exhausted because of that long and really difficult journey that they went through going through this evacuation process. And I took them home and it took them a couple of days to to recover.
0: Well, first I'm so happy to hear they were able to get out unscathed and I'm glad you all were able to be united back at home so quickly. Thank you. The last question I'll ask is. As we discussed more early on, uh, you talked a little about the media coverage of Afghanistan and how the world sees Afghanistan. What do you think are some of the major misconceptions people have about the country and the Afghan people? That's a wonderful question. One
1: thing that I think is misunderstood about Afghanistan is that it is often said here in uh, in the West that Afghanistan is a barren, arid land and forbidding graveyard of empires. This perception does not do justice to Afghanistan's cosmopolitan history as a crossroads between South Asia and Central Asia, and also to its rich traditions of Buddhism and Islam and other religions. So, I think this, this misperception or misunderstanding about Afghanistan that the people are fighters and they are the graveyard of empires is um, a misconception about the people. Uh, Afghan people are really peace-loving. They want education. They want to prosper. They want to live in peace with its neighbors and also with
0: itself. Well, Javid, thank you so much again for speaking with me. And uh, thank you so much again for coming on and for sharing your story.
1: Thank you, Ben. I think it
0: has been quite a good experience. A big thank you again to Javid for joining us. And thanks so much to our listeners for tuning into Episode 2 of our mini series. If you're interested in finding out more about how to support the Afghan community and the refugee community in the DMV area, you can visit our website at comadc.org or at Instagram at at Comodici. Take care everyone.